Please join me in the confession of sin. Dearly beloved, we've come together in the presence of God, our Heavenly Father, to render thanks for the great benefits that we have received at His hand, to set forth His most worthy praise, to hear His holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things that are necessary for our life and salvation. O oh, come, let us worship Him. Let us kneel and bow down before Him. Let us confess our sins with penitent hearts and obtain forgiveness by His infinite grace and mercy. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have strayed from Your ways like lost sheep. We have followed the devices and desires of our hearts. We have offended against Your holy law. We have done those things which we should not have done, and we have not done those things which we should have done. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Spare us and restore us according to the promises you have declared to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. For his sake, grant that we may live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Lift up your hearts. The Almighty and merciful Lord has granted us pardon and forgiveness of all of our sins, grace for true repentance and amendment of life, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the precious gift of faith that you have worked in our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that we may cling to Christ alone for our hope of heaven. We pray tonight that through that very word again, you would strengthen this faith and keep us always on the narrow path to eternal life. We ask it all in our Lord's saving name. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation tonight is taken from the Gospel of St. Matthew, a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the seventh chapter beginning at verse 21. And Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Many years ago, I had a member of the church I was serving who was a delinquent, or not a delinquent, a shut-in member, and he was rather elderly. He was in his uh, mid-80s, upper 80s, and uh, he had bad arthritis in his knee. And he told me, though, that he had recently gone to a Christian faith healer who was renting a small house on the edge of Mankato, and this faith healer claimed that there was a certain spot in that house that just so happened to be where his office would be, where there was an energy that God had put in the ground that he and he alone could draw up through his body in order to touch this man on the knee and heal him. And he told me where this house was, and I drove by it on my way back into town, and there were about 50 cars out in the yard. And he claimed that he would get relief from his arthritis for about a week. The man knew the law, and he was not able to charge money for this, but he did ask for a donation of $15 for every touch and had a nice big glass bowl apparently out on the desk. I tried to explain some things to my member, but he was so drawn to wanting to go to this healer. My father had a woman years ago who had grown up with polio as a child. Because of that, had one leg shorter than the other and had to wear braces and use a crutch and a cane to walk. And um, she went to a faith healer in Mason City, Iowa, that claimed the same thing. And after, after touching her with his healing power and claiming to do this in the name of Christ, nothing happened to her leg. And so he told her, you must not have a very strong faith. She came back to my dad very disappointed and upset. And again, my father tried to correct some of her thinking. It's interesting that there's a hunger inside of us to see a miracle or to experience a miracle, especially when it would be something that, that has to do with our health or the health of one of our loved ones. And there's a... There's a a magnet in us to want to see or be part of a miracle in that way. There's a reason people were going out in droves to see Jesus perform miracles. 
And yet Jesus is warning us in the text before us um, about those who um, have a hypocritical use of the things that he has even given to his church but to not be doing them truly in his name. He says on judgment day when they come, I never knew you. In other words, I, I've never recognized you as part of my flock. And um, he's giving us a warning here as well. This is part of his Sermon on the Mount, which is spoken to believers. And the purpose of it is to train them more deeply in their faith and also, especially in chapter 7, to warn them of many of the false things that might be out there. So what he's showing us here is that a person can be externally connected to the church and be part of, even if you will, the ministry of the church, and yet not have actual fellowship with Christ himself. One commentator said, a mouth Christianity can never be a valid substitute for a heart Christianity. So the fact that something miraculous happens, the fact that a prophecy may come true, the fact that a demon gets cast out, by itself, these things prove absolutely nothing about the source for this power. Johannes Ilvesacker, the father of our Ilvesacker here, he wrote this in a commentary. He said, A person may preach orthodox, even beautiful and edifying sermons. He may perform great things in office, drive out devils and work wonders, and be regarded as a light in the church. And yet, he may remain personally outside of a living communion with Christ and finally be a castaway from the Lord. Now notice in the text before us, when these people come um, expecting to be led into heaven, notice that they're crying out for Jesus' attention and uh, for, for him to let them in, all based upon the works that they have done, the things that they have done. They're looking for an, an appeal and appealing to an acceptance based upon their own activities. But that right away shows us a contrast and a difference to what God teaches in his word, and that is that those who are truly saved have their hope only in the work of Christ, only in what he's done for them on the cross and by his resurrection, that it's all entirely by his doing. And any appeal that we have on judgment day to be let into the kingdom of God must only be based upon that wonderful grace that we've been given. So this is what, what Luther calls a fake faith, a fake faith that points to itself rather than to Christ. And Luther said, it's a creation of man, like foam on a bad beer. That's the way he describes this fake faith. So there will be people performing miracles in the name of Christ, prophesying in his name, even casting out demons, and yet Christ will say to them on Judgment Day, I never knew you. And then listen to this phrase, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's a word that means to be doing something without the command of God, without the command of Christ. And the greatest work of lawlessness that can be done is to pervert God's word in the name of Christ inside of the church and yet be doing it in a way that may deceive people. To outwardly, if you will, act and carry out your work in the Lord's name but at the same time really being detached from him with a lack of faith. Now, it's also possible that certain miracles and signs that can, that can really um, stir up people's attention, 
that they really do not have their source at all in God himself, but rather are coming from the devil, who dresses himself up, Paul says, as an angel of light. So what does Christ himself say as we draw near the end of time? Listen to his warning. False prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. These are some pretty impressive things if they would deceive Christians, people waiting for the return of Christ. And we know in Scripture that God does allow the devil to have some limited power here in this world. Pharaoh's sorcerers were able to, to recreate some of the miracles that God had Moses do. Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts did such miraculous time signs were told he amazed all the people of Samaria. The book of Acts also talks about a slave girl that predicted the, the future by a spirit that was working against Christ. The Gadarene demonic man in Mark chapter 8 had the strength to break metal. So God is warning us about this and our Savior is warning us in his words here which is all part of his love for you. The same love that took him to the cross to make atonement for all of your sins. The same love that sent his Holy Spirit into your hearts in baptism and through his word to give you faith in him. The same love that wants to draw you to himself and ultimately take you to heaven. And he knows that possibly witnessing miraculous signs could become so intoxicating to us that we will always assume they're coming from the hand of God, and yet they may not be. He says again, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So let me ask you, do you do the will of your Father who's in heaven? Have you done that will perfectly in your life? What he's talking about here is actually a comforting statement. It's not to terrify us. By faith in Christ, when we trust in him and put our hope of heaven entirely in what he's done for us, that faith grabs onto and possesses the perfect holiness that Christ himself alone has created and gives to you and has dressed you in and keeps you in all the way until you leave this life. That's why when God writes uh, his word to the different churches, he always starts out, especially through the pen of Paul, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the saints who are in Philippi, to the saints who are in Colossa. That, that's how God talks about you. That's how he sees you and how he looks at you, those where he has created faith in Christ in their heart. Saints, you are the holy ones, okay? St. Paul says, uh, St. Peter says, you are a holy people, a, a people belonging to God. So when Jesus says that only those will be led into heaven are those who do the will of his Father who is in heaven, that's you as a believer in Christ. He would have you take comfort in that and keep your comfort and keep your trust only in that wonderful truth. Amen. Please rise for the versicle and canticle.